Take me out to the ball game Take me out with the crowd Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks And I don't care if I ever get back Cause it's root, root for the whole team They don't wait, it's a shame Cause it's one, two, three strikes You're out at the Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome to our Turkey Day, Thanksgiving Day episode of Let's Get Two. I am your host, James Christopher, and I love Thanksgiving. I'm going to be honest, uh, from about Halloween until December 26th, I'm as happy as a clam. I'm a holiday guy. I love all the accoutrements, all the trappings of all of the holidays, particularly at this time of year. You might notice my super sweet baseballism, Thanksgiving Day baseball cap. Again, I love everything about it. And and we're coming to the end, and I'm a very big take stock guy. I think you should look back at your year's journey. You should look back at Lessons to learn, things you did well, things you're thankful for. And I know it's very easy in 2020 to flush it down the drain. Heck, it's kind of uh, an instinct that I have. You know, as you've seen on the show, I have really purchased a bunch of these minor league baseball 2020 shirts. And, you know, I don't really see wearing them beyond this year. A lot of them were purchased to support the teams that were selling them, like the Durham Bulls, like the Salem Red Sox, like the Corpus Christi Hooks. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll make a quilt or something, you know, to, like a keepsake. And then I thought to myself, do I want to remember this year any more than I absolutely have to? And I definitely understand and and, and in some ways agree with that sentiment. You know, we're recording this early in the week. We're dropping it on the Friday before Thanksgiving. And the situation with the election is still unsettled. And there's been some really good news about COVID and the vaccine. And then some really questionable news um, about the military pulling out of the Middle East, which is bad. And wanting to, like, let people drill in the Alaska National Forest. That's also bad. But it would be easy to get bogged down in that. And I think one of the things that we have to do as a country, you know, as we come out of 2020, there is now a light at the end of the tunnel. I think the vaccine symbolizes so many things. I think um, it means that there is an end game to all this. And I think that what we have to do is really work to be just focused on on what is good and positive about the year. And I think if we look into it, I think we'll find something. And, you know, for me, for as much as it was disappointing to see the baseball season interrupted, canceled on many levels, it was also inspiring to see all of these minor league baseball clubs and the affiliated minor leagues scramble to still support their communities. For as much as most of the leagues in the independent and collegiate woodbat leagues were canceled, look at what the Sugarland Skeeters did and the normal corn belters. They made something really cool out of nothing. People adapt, people move on. Um, Americans 
we seem divided, but there's a couple of things that we all share. And I think we share this idea that we can meet a challenge. And I think that in some ways we've really met the challenge of 2020 and COVID-19. So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to be associated with baseball, even tangentially. I am thankful to have two adorable grandkids. I'm thankful to have just a smart and strong daughter in Jordan who, um, you know, we don't always agree on everything, but the one thing every father wants out of their kid is for them to be their own person. And she is that. And I am thankful to have just the most amazing woman who every day lowers herself by agreeing on that day to still be my wife for me to be her husband. Cause she's a lot better than I am. I have definitely, I'm hitting above my weight as, as they might say, or, or I don't even know that I, that's how flummoxed she gets me. And I'm very thankful to be able to be doing this show. And I do this show out of the love of the game. I do this show because I truly love baseball and I've fallen in love with all these lower levels of baseball, but I wouldn't keep doing it if I wasn't so encouraged by this baseball community that I'll talk a little bit about later in the show. But I had mentioned that that December was going to be our final episode and I meant for the season and some people thought I meant forever. And there was like a almost an intervention, like lots of DMs coming in and comments and that really made me feel special. So I'm very thankful for that. So um this year is hard. The only way to go into 2021 with some degree of positivity is to look back on what was good about the year, try to leave the rest of us behind us and push forward. I think we can do it. And I think that I think that we are resilient enough to keep moving. But we do have a great show for you today. We have got a bunch of teams coming on. Darian Sills Evans is back because his Mets have a new owner. I think I'm more excited than he is. Uh, we're talking Astros. We're talking MLB. We've got some some Swamp Bats, some Corn Belters, and some Fireflies all on today's episode. So stay with us. Who's on first? The Let's Get to Local 9, brought to you by Zoomer Sports. So we are super excited to welcome to our Who's on First segment of the Thanksgiving episode of Let's Get To. We're thankful to have both John Katz and Ashley DiCarlo from the Columbia Fireflies. How are you guys doing today? I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. John, how are you? Living the dream, my friend. Living the dream. Tell me a little bit about yourselves before we jump into this. John, we'll start with you. How did you get interested in working in baseball in the first place and end up working for the Fireflies? So, so the, the baseball part is actually really interesting. I, I never had any intention of working in sports. Um, you know, I was, I was trying to continue my graduate studies at, at UMBC back in the nineties and couldn't find a job. So a couple of friends of mine from college were interning with major league baseball in the Arizona fall league. And they said, Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. And they said, well, send in your, your, uh, desktop publishing samples and all the stuff you did in college. And they're looking for someone who knows how to do marketing and promotions and desktop publishing and a month later, I was on my way to Phoenix. The fall league, something else too, isn't it? It's a whole different kind of animal. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, but it's an interesting way to get thrown into the business from all sides at once. Ashley, how about you? How did you end up again jumping into baseball and, and working for the for the Fireflies? Yeah. So opposite story on my end. I actually went to college for sports. 
Uh, went to South Carolina right down the street, uh, sport management major. Um, I always knew I wanted to work in baseball. That was kind of the sport I was around the most growing up. And rumors started kind of freshman, sophomore year that they were bringing a team here to Columbia. And it just so happened that perfect timing, the Firefly showed up in 2016, which was my graduating year. And I needed my final internship. Um, and I was like, I want to stay in Columbia. I don't know anything about minor league baseball outside of the fact that I went growing up. So let's see what it's like. Took a ticketing internship. And what, five years later, six, I don't even know what year is, four years, five years later, I'm somehow in the director of marketing role with the same team. So completely different story from John. If he were to live out his long tenure in baseball, I'm with the same team for five years and I've absolutely loved it. It's been great. One of the things that, um, or one of the sort of reasons why we did the show in the first place, um, I'm a Houston kid. I practically grew up in the Astrodome. I didn't know really anything about minor league baseball until I married a San Antonio girl who the, the mission's obviously big deal. Community is such the driving force behind the, behind what drives these teams. John, talk a little bit about just how important the community that the Fireflies are to the community in Columbia and how important the community are to you guys. You know, I, I think it goes the other way around. I think without the community, there is no baseball team. Um, you know, we are here to serve our community and to be of service to our community. You know, we, we don't even often refer to ourselves as a baseball team as more of a, a, a site at Segra Park to bring generations of people together. Again, as a gathering place for the community, you go back to the good old days, you know, I guess mid-February 20. 2020, but we look at the calendar year of 2019, we had 305 events here at Segra Park that had nothing to do with baseball whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So you you layer in 70 home games, you're talking 375 events in, in a 365-day calendar. So this ballpark gets used for any number of things, not the least of which is baseball, but we also have that opportunity to add 50, 60, 70,000 uh, more people to the mix just by hosting other events. And that could be concerts, it could be weddings, bar mitzvahs, um, all sorts of different rites of passage. Any way we can bring people to this venue and bring them together, that's why we're here. I wanted to ask you guys, uh, before we talk a little bit about the contraction news, but a little bit about COVID. Um, every, like everybody, you guys, your lives were put on hold. You were waiting, I'm assuming, for weeks of information at a time, trying to find out. What was it like for you guys going through the run-up of spring training canceled to the season canceled. And how did you guys adapt to keep serving that community? Um, I think like most other people, we were, we were in a period of mourning. Um, you know, we, we knew, I think we kind of made a pivot as to what our plans were probably mid-April and started, started setting our plans into motion shortly thereafter. Um, you know, the ballpark, was and remains closed um, since about the 16th or 17th of March. Um, end of May, we decided, or middle of May, we decided we wanted to see what we could do safely. Um, you know, as restaurants were, were able to open with small capacities, we decided to turn our, our club lounge into a restaurant. And we did that a couple of nights. And what we got was a lot of feedback from people that said, hey, you know, we would love to do this, but we're not comfortable dining inside. Mm -hmm. So next week we pivoted to outside and, you know, we ran our restaurant, restaurant, you know, Fridays and Saturday nights, pretty much all the way through uh, last weekend. 
And you know what we're what we're doing now is we're we're turning into uh, an events business. So you know we've done a couple of comedy shows. We've had a, had right. a, a couple of movie nights. We've got uh, Rob Schneider coming in. You know, in a at the end of this week. Uh, of course, that could be awkward depending on when you air this. But Rob Schneider's on his way. A screening of Elf is on its way. And you know, it's that's the way for us to do what we do best because. More than anything else, what we miss is being around each other as a staff, and what we miss is is being around the community that that we serve. Um, so finding little ways to do that throughout the process has has been really critical to you know keeping everyone's morale um, as high as we can possibly do. Understanding that you know it's it's now been what 16, 17 months since we've had a baseball game. Yeah, um, and it'll be another five, six months before we come back because we still have no idea when it's going to start again. Ashley, you're, you know, being new in your career, what have you learned about yourself and in, in all of this, like pivoting in the changing times and, and all of this uncertainty? Yeah, it's been a wild year. Um, I took over as director of marketing in August of last year. So I haven't even worked a baseball game in this position. So just pivoting, pivoting that way and, and, having my whole plan for the season. I was like, okay, that's what's going to happen. I'm so excited about it. And then April comes like that all just fell apart. It's, it's definitely, I've learned a lot about myself and kind of how quickly I can pivot and kind of leading a team through that pivot has been an interesting challenge. Um, everyone's kind of looking at it a different way. I mean, we're all together as a team. We still have staff meetings and, and weekly and things like that. We're always in touch, but kind of like trying to keep people on board and, and lead the charge and like, Hey, marketing doesn't stop as much as we don't have baseball and, and the times we didn't have events was hard because it was like, we're just making content to try to stay in, in touch. Um, but trying to turn how to pivot a whole team was, was a big challenge for me and a lot, a big learning experience for me as a leader in this new role. You know, John, to your point, um, the, this episode is going to drop Friday morning, uh, which means between now and Friday morning, lots of things could change, but um, you guys, you know, we've talked about contraction on the show the whole time. And I think that, there are a lot of reasons why contraction, I guess, makes sense for MLB teams. There's a lot of reasons why I think it's incredibly bad for baseball as a whole, but it is where it is. We are where we are. And according to your Twitter profile, you guys are newly single and ready to mingle the TBD level affiliate of the TBD team in the TBD league. Um, how shocked were you, John, at finding out that Columbia was on the list? And I will preface this by saying, we do have some sources. We'd never heard your names at all. And in fact, we had heard a lot of, well, definitely not those guys because of just the Supreme facility and the Supreme organization. Uh, how shocked were you? Well, well, so we're talking about two different things. <clears throat> we are not on any list. Um, we will be one of the 120 teams. We have right. not been contracted. Right. And that's, uh, and that's clear. That's what I meant by uh, things could change by Friday. You could be an affiliate again by the time yes. this drops. Exactly. But just in the initial burn, how did that feel to find out you guys were not part of the Mets again anymore? Look, you know, for the last six to eight weeks, you know, you start hearing the rumors that the Florida state league is going to go low a. Um, and at that point we're like, all right, probably the Mets aren't coming back. Um, but, you know, is there a chance early on we heard we might move up to high a, We've heard we might stay in low A. We don't know where we're going to be. Um, but again, you know, it's, it, it's, I guess it was, it was a little bit of a shock the way we found out. Um, but I'd say in fairness to the Mets, it's, it's not a shock that they're going to be, you know, keeping their low A affiliate in Port St. Lucie. 
Ashley, I wanted to ask you um, with the Twitter messaging, um, there were a lot of teams that found out the same way you guys did. Um, friends of the show, the Trenton Thunder had a very different reaction, a much more direct reaction. And I think it makes sense too. I think, um, you know, you were talking, John, you were able to kind of put things together and look at the map and say, hey, maybe we don't make sense for the Mets. Trenton not making sense for the Yankees. I'm not going to ask you guys to weigh in on that, but but that's a le- less of a stretch because geographically it does make sense. There are lots of social economic reasons why that may maybe did or didn't happen. But you guys chose to be a little bit more lighthearted with it. And and you had the tweet that got viral really. I mean, like, I can't tell you the number of text messages with a link to your tweet going, have you seen this, Jim? Um, why take that approach? And it's approach, I think, really appreciated by the baseball community. Yeah. So as John mentioned, us not being affiliated with the Mets wasn't a shock internally. Um, as you mentioned, again, how we heard the news was a shock. Like I walked out of a meeting and I had text from the one initial tweet that we quoted and I was like oh this is fun and I walked into John's office and I was like do you see this he's like already got a statement so for us there wasn't any shock on the Mets and we kind of knew that was coming so and we've always had a great relationship with the Mets we have nothing against them they've been great to work with John can tell you the exact number of years but however long we've worked with them they've been great yeah so I think just taking a lighthearted, fun approach was kind of like well it's out of our hands we have no control over anything that's happening so why not just have some fun with it um, it was a little poke because, yeah, we did find out via Twitter. But again, no hard feelings there. Um, it wasn't an initial shock. So it wasn't like a morning phase. We had to go through anything like that. It was just like, let's have fun with this, see where this goes. Um, again, all out of our hands. So what else can you really do besides have fun at it? And again, most of the baseball community seems to agree. Baseball America, I think even in their write up of it. In fact, when we first broke the news on our show, news on our show that, yeah, we you guys are probably going to be one of the first ones to get reaffiliated when all that makes sense. So then how do you pivot? I noticed that you already put your Mets affiliated stuff on sale. You had the sale for that stuff. What, you know, but I do think one of the strengths is that you guys are the fireflies. You might've even had people go and not know who your affiliate was versus say the Staten Island Yankees, right? Like you have a, a, a probably a different road to hoe there. So what is next for you guys? Do you guys just wait it out or you still keep moving forward, looking for whatever 2021 is going to look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we're continuing to plan, <clears throat> excuse me, for 2021. Um, we'll get a phone call at some point and we'll look forward to that day. But until then, nothing really changes for us. <clears throat> we know that we will be playing. Um, we don't know when opening day is yet. We don't know what league and what teams will be playing yet. But beyond that, nothing changes. You know, the experience, <clears throat> you know, I feel bad for Ashley and her team you know, all the work they put into planning a, a an amazing 2020. And then, you know, it, it's yeah. almost like um, Lucy holding the football and Charlie Brown running up to it. And the football is 2020 and just, and that that's what happened to our marketing team. <laughs> um, but I also know, you know, Ashley's been with, with us long enough that, that I know that she's not going to just, you know, say, okay, well, this was this night. So we're just going to move it ahead a year. Um, because she does, she doesn't operate like that. She's not going to be satisfied. She'll, if she hasn't already, she'll go through her head and go, okay, what about this could have gone better? Um, and then those changes will be implemented for 2021. So, you know, in some say, in, in some senses, it's, it's almost like we got an extra year to plan things. Um, but, you know, to Ashley's point, you know, we're not, we're not grieving over the loss of our affiliation, um, you know, I think in some cases we're still grieving over the loss of 2020. 
Sure. Um, but it, it's still an ever forward approach. And, and to Ashley's um, point, look, we've been affiliated with the Mets between Savannah and Columbia since 2007. Um, the five years, six years, six years I was in Savannah, I mean, we had five playoff teams. We had three te- three teams that should have won the Saturday League. Only one of them did. And, um, you know, I think anyone would tell you that that was probably the least likely of the three teams to win it. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, we've had a great experience with the Mets. You know, we wish them well. And, you know, like Ashley said so appropriately, single and ready to mingle. Let's go. We're ready. Yeah, to, to follow up on that a little bit, it, it's kind of fun. Like this little bit of freedom it was almost like not a rut of events, but kind of the same thing for our marketing team, pushing out events, trying to figure out how to get people in ballpark. So this little glimpse of freedom and this little time to have fun has been good for us. I kind of feel like um, a college football recruit on draft day. I have like five hats that were rumors we've heard of where we could go, kind of sitting just right for me to pull that, throw it in a video. Um, so it's kind of opened up our creativity a lot on the marketing side of like, hey, where can we go? What kind of fun can we have it? What can we do with it? Um, it's been a fun little moment of freedom and, and we have some things, we have some things brewing. So it should be a good couple months for us here. It's like, you're just going to eat, pray, love it. You're going to like find yourself a little bit and then you're going <laughs> to exactly. be ready for another, another relationship. Uh, exactly. I want to ask one question that I think is, um, maybe a bit of a downer though. Uh, John, um, my, it's a really small community we're in and I'm sure some of your colleagues don't know that they're going to have another affiliate. Like, how, how do you feel about like, where does your heart go for those guys? I, I'm th- and I'm thinking about the teams that are facing uncertainty of like moving to collegiate Woodbat in the Appy league, for example, just any thoughts on, on what that situation's like? I, I think it's an absolute atrocity. Um, you know, you, you look at one of the things about minor league baseball that is so appealing and, and, you know, much like you, I never went to a minor league baseball game because I grew up in the shadows of Fenway park literally the first minor league baseball game I went to, I was working at, Wow. Um, you know, it was like, I think two years later, I happened to go home and I took my dad to see the Paw Sox at McCoy uh, stadium. But, you know, minor league baseball <clears throat> is Americana. And, you know, up until the con- contraction talk started, you know, what was it? 90 or 85 or 90% of the population was within an hour to 90 minute drive from minor league stadium. And, you know, depending on um, what you hear about independent teams coming in, there's 42 or almost or 43 potentially former minor league markets um, that are going to be impacted in some way. Um, yes, some will be able to, to have the Wood Bat League or some sort of prospect league, <clears throat> and some will be left holding the back. Um, but you've got people who've been in this, I've been in this business um, almost 30 years. And, you know, as of last week. Uh, and I, inter- I, I interned with 11 people um, who were all quality, you know, one became a major league interim general manager. Um, you know, we've had folks all over the place. I'm the only one left in minor league baseball. The only one. Wow. Um, and, you know, again, you know, we soldier on because that's what we do, you know, and, and, you know, you talk about being able to take a lighthearted approach because, that's what minor league baseball is. It's, you know, it's, it's major league baseball without the seriousness. Um, And that's what makes us so appealing, but we're taking it away from markets across the country. Um, And for me, I think it's bad for the game. Um, You know, I think it's bad for the game that, you know, our, and I'm, I'm hopeful that, 
the one baseball plan comes to fruition because, you know, I, I see it, you know, my kids stopped playing baseball when they were young, but they, you know, they played soccer. And once you get to a certain level and you start having to do travel ball, whether that's soccer, baseball, um, softball, you know, whatever it might be, all of a sudden, you know, there, there are barriers to entry and barriers to participation, generally financial, right. um, that really impact marginalized communities and their athletes. Um, if that's the positive that we take away from this down the road, then, you know, maybe you look back and say, okay, if this is why we did it, then okay. But if that's not the case, then, you know, it's just un unfortunate. And I, and I grieve for my friends who, you know, are leaving markets or leaving baseball um, because they have to, not because they want to. Then I guess uh, I will finish with another question for each of you. And then uh, a sort of a wild card one. Um, I tend to never take a skyless following approach about anything. I'm seven years military. If I would have done that, it would have been an awful experience for everyone involved back in the day. Um, what is one thing do you think we can look forward to as far as minor league baseball in 2021, something to feel a little positive about? Will it actually go first? Yeah, I think, um, I, people keep saying it's, we're going to be back and better than ever. And I think that's the most accurate statement about minor league baseball. As John mentioned, like it's a, it's a community of survivors. The community is the, the game day staff, the full-time staff. People are going to want to be back at the ballpark and the staff are going to want to make it five times more of a better experience. And it has been. And I think just how many people love minor league baseball, just knowing that it's going to be five times better because of all the dedication that people have put in for the last year, people who are, people are committed to this. And I think just the product is going to be five times better. It's going to be entirely different because it's going to be a lot of digital. It's going to be maybe not onto a promo. It's going to look different, but the excitement and the energy level that minor league baseball is going to bring back to their communities when gates finally open again is going to be ridiculous. It's going to be amazing. John. I don't know that I can do it, do any better than Ashley just did. That's pretty um, good. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's all about amplification, right? So, you know, I look back and I look back at, literally the first summer I haven't worked baseball games in almost 30 years. Um, I look at what has happened in our nation. Uh, you know, you, you're seeing it more as, as the wave kind of grows. Um, more people or more places getting locked down, more restrictions um, in the interest of public health. At some point when, you know, there's, there was great news today on, on a, a vaccine from Moderna, you know, it, at some point when we get to the spring, things are going to turn. Yeah. Um, you know, with multiple, hopefully multiple vaccines available, um, you know, respiratory therapies, therapeutics, and all these things where people are going to be ready to come out of their shells. Um, because a lot of people, and 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 I think we'd all be we'd we'd all be crazy if we said that, you know, minor league baseball, you know, and, and we're no exception, has a lot of uh fans that are a little bit older. So, you know, th this kind of goes back to the whole thing of, you know, why move your restaurant from inside to outside? Because we know our markets. Sure. Um, and I think people will be ready to celebrate. Um, and that may be a different time for everybody. And th that's fine. You know, we don't know when we get to opening day, if we'll be at 20% capacity, 80% capacity, 50%. Um, as long as we can have people in the ballpark watching um, and celebrating and enjoying, we'll be happy. Um, but we want to be that, you know, minor league baseball has always served as this escape from reality for people. 
um, you know, that's what you do. You, you look forward to it all week or you make a last minute um, spur of the moment decision to come out to the game. And that's where you can, you know, you kind of compartmentalize some of those other things that are going on in your life. And for three hours, you get to put that away and escape from reality. Um, and if we're being honest, we've had a lot of reality. We've had so much. We want to, we want to escape from. Um, had, yeah. Yeah. So, so as you kind of go through all this and, you know, hope springs eternal and this spring, the experience at, at, at ballparks across the country um, are going to be met with this, this amplified enthusiasm, not just from the, the people like us who have been, been missing our fans so much um, this year, so much. It's, it's, it's hard to even quantify it. It's just been so much that we've been missing them to have them back, to welcome them, welcome them and, and show them a great time again. I mean, you can't put a price on that and, and what that will do, not only for us as a staff and as an organization and, but, but really for our community and, you know, 120, what will be 120 communities, minor league communities across the country. Okay. So Ashley, hard question here. What is your go-to Thanksgiving dessert? Ooh, dessert. Um, there's actually a certain, so I'm not a big dessert person, not a big sweet tooth person. So there's one pie. I think it's a Marie calendar, but it's like a triple berry pie. I have to have that every Thanksgiving. Honestly, the only pie I really like, but there's one certain pie, triple berry thing. It's so good. And John, go to side item at Thanksgiving. At Thanksgiving. Oh gosh, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> so I do all the Thanksgiving cooking at my house. Okay. Um, or as three years ago, I had 40 people up in the club lounge here at the ballpark. I needed a commercial kitchen. Wow. Um, so two that I really like, I, I know you asked for one, but I'm going to go ahead and make it double the fun. Um, so I make scratch made cornbread dressing. Oh, wow. That um, sounds delicious. Which is, which is outstanding. And then although I messed it up the first time I did it, there's a, um, there's a great um, side dish, which is peas uh, and shallots with pan seared pancetta, which as long as you don't overdo the pancetta, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And we'll be on the menu this year, even though my family is voting against uh, traditional Thanksgiving food. So we might get, you know, might do steaks and then I'll make my Thanksgiving sides. I think you can tell John's not from the South because he didn't say mac and cheese. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, not a mac, I'm not a mac and cheese guy. Like to me, but I'm also a cranberry guy and nobody else in my oh, family. I, I love cranberry sauce. I have to have cranberry sauce. I so go nuts ne- for it. Never did. My dad always, when we always had it in a can, and it always reminded me of just jiggly dog food when you <laughs> shake out the wet dog food and it just stands up. Yeah. Uh, oh, I never God, really got that. That's, that's my good. The can. That's all I need. Just give me a can. Not, that's home for me. Uh, Ashley, as we wrap up, uh, John mentioned some stuff at the ballpark this week. Rob Schneider's coming. Uh, just throw, throw out for the people out there what they can what they can do do for the rest yeah. of 2020. Yeah. So as you mentioned, Rob Schneider, um, people in the South, we don't like coming out in the cold. So it's getting a little a little less event heavy here, uh, even though it's probably in the 60s. But yeah, so Rob Schneider, secret preview coming out in 40 minutes on our Twitter. But we will have Elf on December 4th. So a good showing of that. Um, right for the holidays, doing some things internally. Breakfast with Santa. We fund for our kids club members. A lot of holiday bundles coming out shopping wise, but so not event heavy. So we keep people indoors and out of the cold. But a lot of deals coming up, maybe merch wise. So we'll be on the lookout for that. 
Well, John, Ashley, thanks so much for being on Let's Get Two. Uh, we look forward to following where the Columbia Fireflies will be next. And you'll have a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, you do thanks. the same. Happy Thanksgiving. Holler and a swaller, a chug of ballpark brew presented by the Hitter Sports. So we are here on Holler and a Swaller, but we're also combining it with Show Me the Merch, uh, in part because the episodes, you know, could run a little long. And and I want to keep the content on the teams paramount. So if we have to combine some segments here, we are going to do it. But I do want to start out with the Show Me the Merch segment which uh, we're going to do a shout out to the Hudson Valley Renegades. Now, the cool thing about the Hudson Valley Renegades, filmmaker from years ago at ARF, uh, knew that I was such a passionate baseball guy that he actually got me my very first Hudson Valley Renegades hat, which is sat proudly on our shelf. And so when the Renegades were named one of the Yankees' new affiliates, I wanted to get a new hat. I already had a hat. And so then... I grabbed their sweet Copa de la Diversión hat. How about that? Isn't that sweet? Uh, so congratulations to Hudson Valley. We will be out to see you guys this year. Uh, God willing in the crick don't rise, which might be the second time this episode I've used that saying and therefore like the fifth time in my life. I don't know why I'm why I'm doing that. But on to the holler and a swaller segment uh, sponsored by The Hitter Sports. Follow him on Twitter. Um we definitely have different movie tastes. We've learned this. But yeah, if you want to talk Yankees, you want to talk Blade Runner, you want to talk Lord of the Rings, talk whatever. The Hitter Sports is a guy that's got an opinion and also lets you air his your own opinion. So it's very uh, very unique in the Twitter sphere. But on to the Holler and the Swaller segment. So we're going to be doing the Merry Christmas, Happy New Year from Anchor Brewing. Anchor Brewing is a brewing company out of San Francisco, California, which is cool for two reasons. One, it marks the first time in this adjusted segment when we stopped going to ballparks because of COVID and started just focusing on microbrews that it isn't one from Texas. And it's also for the hometown of Jess Canaster, one of the most important contributors on this show. Now, I usually do the ASMR thing where you let you hear me, hear me open it, but I didn't this time. I have gone ahead and put it in my Christmas vacation pint glass. It says joy to the squirrel. And then it's got the shitter is full RV thing. That right there is an RV. But don't you go falling in love with it because it's leaving and going with us when we leave here next month. When I started thinking about the holler and the swaller segment for this episode... I was pretty set on the idea that I wanted to toast some members of our team and people that just love baseball that have been so supportive of our show as a way of thanking them. And what always happens is um, I forget people. I'm super ADD and then it becomes a thing. And, you know, if that happens, I really it's not intentional. So I do want to raise this delicious looking I broke the rules. I drank first. I do want to raise this glass to a lot of groups of people. And I want to start with the main team behind Let's Get To. Um, that's Andy Tom Chesson, who anchors our Astros coverage. Uh, Scott McIntyre, who anchors our MLB coverage in general. Uh, those two guys are super important because 
I felt like MLB coverage was important for this show, but wasn't really the driving force behind the show. So I needed to find folks who could always speak intelligently on those subjects and then um, kind of help drive that area of the show. Because I think it is what attracts listeners. Uh, I want to, you know, do a toast to Stu Clary, who um, is proof that you can find really good people on the Internet. That sounds like we're dating online. Maybe we are. I don't know. We'll see how the face-to-face goes. Um, but also talks a lot of, of love for Major League Baseball and provides for us a perspective of a guy who's been watching the game a lot longer than most people that I interact ha- have. I'm not saying he's old. I'm saying he's older. I'm the one who couldn't get out of bed this morning. Um, you know, and I think about like Jess Canaster, who has been very open with his experiences through minor league baseball and helps is helping us really navigate this changing landscape of the sport. Andrew Nelson, who's become the unofficial historian. Uh, my brother, Timothy, who is really as a sounding board for most things on the show and helped me create it. And then I think about all the people that have supported the show who don't have to um, guys like the hitter sports and, and Emily Nyman and Mysterious base and Braves, Emily and, on and on and on, Paul Caputo, Eric the Peanut Guy, all these people that are just like generous for no reason other than they're good people. So when I think about 2020 and I think about um, how hard it's been to navigate this year, the thing that has made it easier has been people like that and so many others I know that I missed. I wanted to do a shout out to Alex, who's kind of a newer uh, Twitter friend that we've, you know, really connected. So it, it's again, um, when I think about 2020, I have, I really, I feel like I have two choices. I could think about all the things that have sucked and the piling on that's happened, not just with COVID and then, but also like with my personal life. So I could think about that, or I could think about all the really good people that are still here. And that have continued to support me and have inspired me to support others because I think that thing is a momentum that you can carry forward. And uh, I will always, of course, toast last and most importantly, my my, my wonderful wife, Jessica, who um, there's just love's not a big enough word to quote John Candy in the best Thanksgiving Day movie, Planes, Trains and Automobiles. So to all of you out there, have a happy Thanksgiving. Holler and a swaller, baby. I chugged that for the hitter sports because that man can chug a beer like no one I know. Now, the caveat, of course, is I only filled this halfway up and I let it sit at room temperature so it was smoother to drink. Um, He's got like six inches on me, so I don't want to tell you. In fact, he's so tall that you know what you call the hitter sports in a dark alley? Sir. Ladies and gentlemen, please adjust your scorecards. We have a special guest in the lineup. We are excited to welcome back to the show our favorite guy from collegiate summer league baseball period, Matt Durkin from the normal corn belters. Matt, you guys have been busy figuring out what 2021 is going to look like, and it's going to look a little bit different in a lot of ways. So let's start with how 2021 is going to be a little different around the corn crib. Yeah, so instead of most stadiums that just focus on what having one collegiate wood bat team there, 
Um, we'll be having the corn belters returning to the prospect league. So that'll be um, approximately 30 dates of baseball next summer. And then on top of that, um, with the KCL being so successful due to the pandemic this past summer, um, that'll be returning too. So it'll be about 65 to 75 dates of baseball um, between the two. And we're really just trying to make it um, unnoticeable to the fan of whether they're there for a prospect league game or a KCL game and just really work on building that experience and having them have a good time while at the ballpark. Okay. So let me break this down then. Okay. So I'm essentially, obviously the normal corn belters main mm-hmm. will be playing in the prospect league against the hoots and all those guys. Yep. Uh, on top of that, we're going to go back to four squads again, four teams all playing double headers. Yeah. So there'll be, with the KCL doubleheaders every single time, um, they'll play about 45 games. Um, and then the Bobcats will be one of the teams, so they'll be back. And then the other three, um, we're mainly working with corporate partners to have some main the team contests sponsored by them. So uh, we don't have anything set in stone for the remaining three teams yet, but um, I'd expect the Bobcats and the other teams to be announced in the next few months. Man, this is so exciting. So um, it really was that big a hit, huh? Having the two double headers, the whole thing. People loved it. Yeah, so it honestly it was just a spur of the moment thing. And we were saying, <clears throat> sorry, um, hey, maybe it'll work. We'll see what it does. And, I mean, it raised attendance 93%. So you can't really argue with those numbers. So we oh. said, hey, we'll just try both of them and see where we go from there. Um, so you guys did release your promotional calendar. Mm-hmm. Do you know, will those be normal corn belters dates or will those be KCL dates or don't know, don't care, come out to the ballpark? Yeah. So um, our main goal is we're just trying to get people to the ballpark and don't really have them care whether it's a corn belters or a KCL game, with the exception, maybe family members. Um, so we're going to try and do six corn belters and six, um, KCL for the corn bash, but um, we won't really have the set in stone until February with the prospect league schedule comes out. But um, we know, have an idea of which ones will be KCL um, and which ones will be corn belters going into it. We're just going to try and work the best we can to make think, make sure those become possible. You know, it's funny because um, coming out of the pandemic and out of the, con- the, the contraction, Collegiate Summer League Baseball is getting probably bigger than it's ever been. I mean, you guys are housing five teams. I'm sure you've seen the news of the Appy League becoming Collegiate yeah. Wolfpack and, and perhaps the New York Penn League. Uh, is there enough talent to go around? For sure. When you think about it, um, college baseball itself is going to be changing over the next few um, years, too. So you'll have D1 players, D2, D3, JUCO, and NAIA. So there's just thousands of schools across the country that house maybe 20 to 40 players. Um, so you break up all of those, there's going to be plenty of talent to go around. Um, and it's mainly just going to come down to each ballpark and each team, what they can do um, to really increase that player's experience and make them want to routinely go um, to those different destinations. You know, you guys um, were our Collegiate Summer League Franchise of the Year for a reason. You're forward-looking. You're, you're always, uh, you know, 
looking forward as, and we're right now we're in the middle of a hot spot again with COVID. I'm sure it's as bad in Illinois as it is here in Texas. Yeah. Um, does the vaccine though, like give you guys a little bit of confidence knowing the vaccine should be hitting everybody in April. You guys should be able to, to go full steam ahead. Yeah. So the way we've looked at it is we kind of dealt with COVID all right this past summer. We had tons of guidelines in the ballpark. Um, we made sure our workers were tested routinely and made sure it was just as safe as possible for everyone in attendance. So um, whether there's a vaccine in time by March, April, which they're projecting, or whether we just have to go through all this again next summer, um, we're really just going to make sure people's safety is our number one priority when they enter the corn crib. Such an exciting time. So will you get a chance to at all relax over the holidays or how long are you working until it's time to get started? Yeah, so right now um, we just introduced ticket packages today, but for the most part we're doing um, corporate renewals for the time being. It's going to probably be a little slow at this time of the year, um, especially with everything COVID going on, but in the upcoming 2021, which I mean, we're all looking for the final game out of 2020. No kidding. Um, it'll for sure pick up in the early winter months. Well, Matt, again, thank you so much for being on the show, for being such a big part of the show, and have a great Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you at the very beginning of next year. <laughs> Thanks. Looking forward to it. And now to the dugout, featuring Darian Sills Evans. We're, we're excited and tickled to be joined by Darian Sills Evans, our local Met guy. Um, hey, hey, how's it going, man? Good, good. <laughs> so you have, it's the moment that sports fans get to experience three, four, maybe five times in a lifetime. New ownership. Trevor Bauer thinks he's already doing a good job. I don't know if that's him auditioning for a job. What are your thoughts initially on the new ownership for the Mets? Uh, you know, I'm always optimistic. And any new ownership in this case is uh, is, is welcome. Uh, the Wilpons were a disaster, especially in the last five or six years. It was just unbearable. And the Mets is, uh, yes, they're the B franchise, a B baseball franchise in New York, but they, they deserve so much better. And their fans deserve so much better because if there's a loyal baseball fan in New York, it's going to really be the Mets because you're you're stuck being perpetual losers. Now, whether or not uh, this new ownership can excite the fans and excite the city, um, that I guess will tell how these trades work out in the next couple of weeks or days. And yeah, so it's all about that. Get us some good trades. Get some get some some cool people on the roster. Make it interesting, and and I think we'll we'll have a team again. We'll have a team that I think people will be excited to go see again. One of the things that Trevor Bauer actually did um, talk on his show, um, and the bullet points were he likes the fact that the the new owners, the Coens, are are um, engaging on Twitter with fans and finding out how to make right. game experiences. One of the things that I took from what his plan is, is that it's accepting the fact that they can't compete with the Yankees the way the Yankees do it, but also saying we'd like to build a championship in three to five years. It seems like that does mean we're going to rebuild the foundation and work towards something. Yeah. And at least you're coming at it from a realistic place because you're not going to change that team or that 
the culture around in Queens, uh, three to five years could even be optimistic. But I think what you're going to want to see is some kind of incremental improvement over that time. And if they manage to get a pennant in that time, that's great. Then I don't think they're going to win it in three or five years. I think they're still pretty far away from that. But it, you really are a Mets fan. They really have beaten you to death. <laughs> it's hard, man. And now living in a town that is uh, full of winners, you know, you look back at the Mets and you go, why am I putting myself through that? This is well, <laughs> well, let me ask you this, though. So there's a couple of free agents that are available for the Mets. And I want to talk about your adopted hometown in a second. But, um, you know, Bauer is out there. Um, Springer is out there. Rio Muto is out there. Any one of those guys, is it, it, would, would that be a sign to you that, yeah, this is going to be a little different? It would be a sign that they're taking it seriously and taking a rebuilding seriously and not kind of, you know, going after – names that are marquee names in New York that don't really add anything to the team like a Robinson Cano. Yeah. You you know, who I'm sure is a great guy, but, (laughs) (laughs) but the, the reason why he was added to the team was because he was great on another New York team. And they, it was, so if we're talking about really rebuilding and really kind of changing what the, uh, the goal of the Mets is going to be, yeah, it, it starts with having players like that. And um, who's the other one they're talking about? Uh, Lindor. Yeah, yeah, uh, trading for Lindor. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. So, you know, and the people who are, you know, have, like, different feelings about it, but I think it would be a cool, good thing. I mean, young guys like that are what makes it interesting. And and the, ro- the roster is just so broken down right now. It is so... Decrepit. It does seem like if you trade, like let's say you got Lindor in a trade, and then you have a rotation that is uh, Degrom and Stroman, and then now Trevor Bauer, you're not mm-hmm. running out three of the best starters in baseball, right? In a division that was competitive but seems wide open. Uh, no offense to all my Braves fans that are listening to the show, but it does seem like that could put you immediately into at least the race for the division. Yeah, I mean you still have the Braves to contend with and and the Nationals always, you know, seem to keep it busy and interesting, but I mean, it will put the Mets at least back into the conversation and they haven't been in that conversation for over a decade. So I, I think, why not? Why not them? They have the money, you know, yeah. and they, 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 they should be making these moves at this point. And yeah, I think the Coens are, they, they've got to get some bang for their buck. I mean, especially at what they paid for this team. They've got to, like, make something happen. Yeah. When I saw that, I was just like, it's a level of money I don't even understand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember when – what did the Wilpons buy the Mets for? It was something – by today's standards, it's so cheap, you know? Yeah, I think I think Jim Crane bought the Astros for $500 million and part of my soul. Um, (laughs) which I'm still paying on. Um, but you are transplant and I just want to, you know, real quick, um, man, what a, what a year for the city of Los Angeles in a sports perspective, because it has been mostly good. Um, Lakers, the Dodgers, but all of that sort of overshadowed with the loss of Kobe. Uh, what's it been like just living there and, and kind of experiencing both all three of those events? Yeah. It's hard to, 
even believe that that'll happen in one year. I mean, Kobe, Kobe's passing was such a significant event in this city that it seemed on its own that it took a year for the city yeah. to, to deal with that, even before we got to COVID. Um, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a basketball fan, not like you, but I was never a huge Kobe fan. And the, the, still, the impact on the people and the fans in Los Angeles is something I don't think I've ever seen. I can't imagine a New York athlete passing and having New Yorkers react the way that they did here to Kobe. I mean, murals everywhere. People were like legitimately in mourning for over a month, you know, and then had all the services and all that stuff. It was, it was, it was really uh, emotional for a town that kind of prides itself on not showing emotion and not having any real emotion and kind of, being super optimistic and even if it's fake it was it was kind of interesting to see people who would never even care about sports kind of be impacted by it um then once covid hit and we lost all of our sports um that also was kind of painful because the thing about la is that it's a it's an outdoor all-year city so you can't even go to the park and see people playing baseball or see people playing basketball or soccer or anything. And, um, I, I had to stop doing everything. I was just working out of my garage and making my asthma worse because my garage is full of dust. So, you know, when, what I really want to do is being outside and playing a pickup game of anything. Um, but the, the world series win and the NBA finals win, you know, even though they they hardly felt like they were the act, they weren't. They they didn't feel like the real NBA Finals. They didn't feel like didn't really feel like the World Series. You know, it it, it all felt like you were champions, but it felt like we were champions of, to me anyway, champions of like what's mostly like an exhibition season. Yeah. You know. Um, that said, you know, we get to hang a banner. <laughs> everyone's going to have an opening day next year will be very exciting for everyone. And, 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 and that's great. But yeah, I, I, I think the town needed that little bit, but you know what? A lot of towns across America needed that, you know, I yeah. mean, every, every town across America dealt with the Corona dealt with black lives matter protests dealt with, you know, civil unrest. And, and I think we all needed a little bit of, that kind of emotional release and it's it's kind of unfortunate that LA had to hog it for yeah. <laughs> for the whole country you know it's unfortunate for Blake Snell that's for sure uh, right so. yeah but but you know I, I will I will actually challenge one thing that you said though I mean yeah I get that it felt weird and and I think I said on the show that it was probably the most miserable I've ever been watching a baseball season, I think because of the Astros sort of having that fallout, but you know, um, for everything that it took to get the season pulled off for the, for the Dodgers to win it the way they did it. I almost think it's harder than winning 162 because of just the emotional taxing that they went through to do it. And, and, you know, they were the best team going in and they were the best team coming out. Yeah. Well, you know, 
and I'm not sure they would have been in 162 games, but it worked out. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Los Angeles will take it and keep it. And because uh, certainly if the Yankees won, they'd be like, yes, we, we won another one, just like all of our others. 28. So as we wrap up, then, you know, it's Thanksgiving. This is a Thanksgiving episode. What is one thing you were thankful for in 2020? I know it's hard to to really factor it in, but looking at sports, all that stuff, what was just one moment that you thought at least this is still here? Um, Man, there's so much. But, I mean, just on a, a personal note for, for you and this show, I would say that, you know, our friendship and and, and being a part of, uh, of this podcast has been great because – I don't really get to talk about sports with anyone. My kids don't care about it. My wife doesn't care about it. So it's, uh, it's great to be able to, to, to speak with like-minded people and, and uh, work things out and hear other opinions and instead of just whatever stuff you have brewing in your head. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I appreciate you and I, and I appreciate uh, this show. Um, but then, you know, everything else is just, we'll get through it. Everything else, it, it, we're here and we're alive and we're extremely fortunate. I can't, I can't like shit on that. It's like we, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm, I'm here and I have my family and uh, I think all of that is great. Um, but yeah, man, thank you. And thank you for having me. Go, go Astros. A focus on H-Town Hardball. So we're jumping into Go Go Astros with Andy Tom Cheston. And Andy, today has really stumbled oh, oh, into being. It, it, I'm getting a tweet from okay. you. Oh, this I'd like awful. to welcome a new affiliate um, host of Go Go Astros, Jeff Passan. This is how I find out. I find out by a tweet. Are you listen, Rob Manfred? Listen, I uh, just felt like the best interest of the show was to move to a look. It's not better, Andy. They're not better. They're just different. But I thought it better for me to not tell you first. So you own part of Jeff Passan now is what I'm hearing. I have I, I, definitely you purchased 51 uh, percent of Jeff Passan. Yes. When you see his hair game improve, you will see my influence, just like I'm assuming. Uh and so, as you can tell, definitely, uh, this has got to be the most synergistic synergistic episode of this show because we are having everybody who normally runs a segment come on to talk about their affiliate or their team of choice dumping mm-hmm. an affiliate. Uh, let's talk through this. Sugarland Skeeters, um, let's get the bad out of the way. Um, well, what is wrong with this move? I, I mean, I know you want to talk about the Skeeters, but I think the bad uh, is the relationships that – I understand the business side of it, but the relationships that are being destroyed because of this. Uh, just before we uh, started recording, I went to the um, Tri-City uh, Valley Cats website. They still list themselves on their website as the short season Class A affiliate of the Houston Astros. We all know the New York Pin League is being asked to be converted into a collegiate woodbat league. They are in the New York Penn League. There is not going to be short season Class A baseball for the majors, major affiliates anymore. So they're just waiting to be told. And not unlike our little passion play at the very beginning of this segment. Our Passan no, play. <laughs> no one has contacted them. It, I'm sure they know. I'm sure the writing's on the wall. But no one has picked up the phone to tell them. Hey, your 19-year relationship with the Houston Astros is over. 
Oh, by the way, that's the second longest uh, affiliate relationship the Astros have had in their 65-year history. Second only to the Columbus Mudcats slash Astros. Um, and it brings us to Round Rock and Sugarland. I think there's a lot of positive with the Sugarland move, and we'll talk about that in a second. But sure. the big negative to me is that Jim Crane – whether he was told to or whether he decided to do it on his own. And I have a feeling Major League Baseball is kind of based on some of the other teams and how they've acted, have kind of formed a wall around this and said, you're only communicating on a go forward basis and you, there's no need to talk to these other teams. Um, you can't pick up the phone and talk to Ryan, talk to the Ryan Sanders group and say, hey, this is what's happening. You can't give them a heads up. And uh, both Reed Ryan and um, I forget Mr. Sanders. Sanders. Yeah, Sanders. Uh, they both said we were, you know, um, blindsided by this. We kind of well, knew I it was uh, We have two sources in um, the upper echelon of the Round Rock Express. I won't name names, but let's just say it's as big as it gets without being a Ryan or a Sanders, who 100% con uh, confirmed that they did find out on Twitter just like our guest earlier in the show, the Columbia Fireflies found out, found out on Twitter. So that's not even speculation anymore. That is 100% how it happened. And, and so it's just crappy. Um, I mean, there's not another way to put it. It's underhanded. It's low dealing, whatever you know, ac acronym or um, adjective you want to tie to it. It's just I, there's no reason to have to conduct business this way. Right. And let's go back to your point, too. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but. You know, we're talking about the Round Rock Express right now. We have the Columbia Fireflies. Nobody believes that they are not going to still be an affiliate of a major league team, and business will move on. That's also two of the most respected AAA clubs with their own definitive identity. But you right. brought up the Valley Cats. That's They're walking off a plank into a form of collegiate woodbat baseball that we discussed earlier I don't think it's going to be very successful because it's going to rely on draft eligible seniors. They might not mm. get players. That's the thing that really bums me out is some of these teams that are going to actually lose essentially their team. Yeah. I think it's different when you're being asked to be part of a freshman, sophomore wood bat league versus a junior senior, because your juniors are draft eligible based on baseball's rules. Um, and I don't know if that's going to change either because why would anybody answer those questions? Um, but you're literally just going into this vast unknown and Major League Baseball is, um, as far as I can tell, they asked them to make a decision by the 16th about whether or not they were going to participate as a league and then individual franchises or individual teams in that league, and nobody's answered them yet. So I don't know if they got an extension on that or they've decided to go a different direction or decided to go fully independent or, or, or any number of different options. Um, it's just there's no reason for business to be conducted the way it's being conducted. Uh, and that to me is Rob Manfred from the very top and his one baseball, you know, everything, everybody, everything that our, our conservative friends are afraid of with Joe Biden and the Clintons and the one government is happening in one baseball, but they're not saying a word about that. No. And you're actually right about that too, because who are they squeezing out, but they're squeezing out middle America. Like, they, right. like it's, it's, it is uh, coming. One of the things that I was thinking about with this Brown rock move beyond the way it was done, uh, we're talking about your favorite franchise on the planet, the Dallas Cowboys. Um, you know, Jerry Jones is a very smart businessman. And so that's why he would split his training camp into three, at one point, three places, California, San Antonio, Austin. He understood the the, the value of building the brand. Does this hurt the Astros brand by oh, essentially? Absolutely. So talk about that. 
I mean, we're going back to it's not quite the silly days of three years ago where we had a franchise in Frisco and and the Rangers had their affiliate in um, uh, Round Rock. But it's pretty close to that. We are basically taking on an isolationist role with um, our minor league teams and we're drawing line from really Houston South in Texas and saying, great, we own the Sugarland and the Corpus Christi markets. And I'm not digging on Corpus. They're a great team, great franchise, but they're also owned by the Astros. Right. They're not going anywhere. They will, in five years, pass up Columbus as the all-time lengthiest franchise relationship or affiliate relationship because we own them. Yeah. Uh, Fayetteville's probably not going anywhere. We own them. Uh, it's still left. I mean, I think we all think Quad Cities is going to stay as our single A affiliate, but nobody knows because nothing's been communicated to anybody. Um, and it's from a marketing standpoint. And I listen to this show. And for those of you that let me do a little commercial. First of all, if you aren't listening to this show, we told you this was all happening in January of 2020. And for everybody to act surprised, it just means you're not listening to the podcast or watching the YouTube broadcast. And you really should be because you're missing out on a lot of things in commercial. Um, so we get back to, you know, this idea of building a brand and expanding your market. It makes no sense to me uh, why you would want to limit that. Every time I listen to you talk to a GM uh, from one of these teams in some place far away from here, you talk about a team and the people who follow that team, even though minor league baseball has a different focus, you get attached to those players who are there for a season or maybe a season and a half, or maybe even half a season in some cases. And you follow those players throughout. Um, so I know that tri cities in upstate New York and Troy, New York have a bunch of people who follow the Astros because Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa and George Springer played there. Now you're really looking at the only people rooting for the Astros outside of Fayetteville, North Carolina, which again, great organization, are going to be Houston and South. And with the contraction and the lack of interest in radio broadcast, you're not you're going to slowly see the Louisiana Louisiana affiliates, the Mid Texas affiliates, the Central Texas affiliates of the Astros die off because nobody's paying attention to radio broadcast anymore. So you really become even more insular and even more limited in scope um, unless you're the New York Yankees. I mean, realistically, unless you're the New York Yankees, nobody's going to know who you are. And, and it becomes the, Yan even the Yankees made the Yankees move where they basically pulled out of, a, of an urban environment into a posh. Sure. Rich. I mean, look, look, we could argue Round Rock and Sugarland are the same city. So they are like, you know, they they really. Yeah, that, that's that I think is a whole other conversation that I think we will can get into once we get through the new year. Um, well, the, Yan the Yankees use the excuse of wanting to have the best player safety and development. And you can only do that in uh, wealthy suburbs. You can't evidently put a fence up around the um, Staten Island parks anymore. Yeah. And I know Staten Island, I think Staten Island accepted a bid into the um, Atlantic league. And so to your point, the New York Penn league, I don't think that that even passes muster. Let's talk a little Sugarland then. I mean, you and I both know both communities well. Uh, it's always hard for us on this show because we are fans of both groups of people that run those teams. Obviously happy for Tyler and those guys, bummed for Andrew and those guys out at Round Rock. Um, what are the pluses and minuses of Round Rock 
I'm sorry, of Sugarland becoming the new AAA field uh, team, in factor in Constellation Field and all that. And then, what are maybe some of the drawbacks? Do you think? Um, I think the the benefit to the Astros as a franchise obviously is expense. It Constellation Field is 28 or 33 miles away, depending on which article you want to look at, uh, from Minute Maid Park. So when you have a call up, you don't have a plane ride, you don't have a delay in somebody getting there. The worst thing that happens is somebody's on a long bus trip and has to make their way back and they'll make that happen. Um, Constellation Field is a beautiful stadium and I think arguably probably has now is now the best AAA stadium in baseball. Um, and, and Round Rock was, if Constellation Field is 1A, Round Rock was 1B. So you're not losing or gaining much there other than it's a fantastic facility with an affluent neighborhood around it. Uh, which helps evidently because, you know, I only want to see baseball where I can eat at high end restaurants after the game. Yeah. I want to eat the in and out versus the um, McDonald's. It's, but, um, you know, and I think that you've got good, uh, a good baseball city around the stadium. So there's a lot of, youth baseball and i know you have listeners all over the country or viewers all over the country we play baseball year-round here in texas and in southeast texas that area in sugarland katie fort bend county is competitive year-round they go to national tournaments they win national tournaments i mean there's just kids that play all year round so you've got a very interested group who you've now made baseball very accessible and affordable for but we already said they're in a fluent neighborhood, so they didn't really need the affordability part of it given to them, right? Right. Um, so, I, you know, there's a lot of good for Houston. There's a lot of good for the franchise. There's a, easier for James Click and his team to keep an eye on their AAA players. Um, and with the ownership piece, um, obviously there's going to be some synergy there, and you're going to see a real concerted effort amongst – Astros baseball and guys that come up from Fayetteville to Corpus to Sugarland, knowing the system and playing baseball the Astros way, which you can save your trash can jokes. Um, yeah, we all have our Astros way, our own version of that. Uh, the downside is losing that losing that market in uh, Austin and Central Texas, which is the fastest growing area in the country, depending on you know what you read, or one of the fastest growing areas in the country between Austin, San Antonio, San Marcos, that that area, and basically seeding everything north of um, well College Station to seeding right. uh, it to the Rangers. I mean, we all expect the Rangers to end up in the, with the Round Rock. Uh, the triple a affiliate i don't you know that isn't official yet something else could happen but that's what makes the most sense but this is 2020 lots of things don't make sense um so i think it's a negative from that standpoint because you have a generation of fans and i can tell you as a season ticket holder at round rock when they were at the double a affiliate of uh, houston it was a much different feel in that stadium for me yeah um, than it was when the Rangers uh, were running uh, were running players through there. Um, and that's a personal picadillo, and I'm sure people from Dallas and Fort Worth and that area are going to be thrilled to come down to Austin for games. But I just didn't see the same excitement around Central Texas with the Rangers that I did with the Astros uh, when they were good. I think that that's categorically true. Um, I mean, I, I'm sort of like you, even my own – you know, we talk on the show a lot about when you go to a minor league game, you don't really care who wins or loses, except that when it's Round Rock, because I am rooting for those actual guys. Like, right. 
uh, that's a part of it. Um, well, that's, I mean, that's what makes a trip down to Corpus more fun for me than a, a trip to this point to Sugarland is because I know I'm seeing guys that may be up to help the Astros sooner rather than later. Uh, Sugarland up to, you know, last week was very much a place where you could watch guys who got missed by organized baseball get another chance or guys trying to extend their career. So there's some great stories, but it's about the experience of going to a minor league park and having a beer and having a hot dog and having a conversation with your friends. And now for me, it's going to be a little bit different. It'll be better because I can go and see and watch players that are going to get up, but it's still AAA, which we can have this argument some later date. There are better players at AA in a lot of respects. Right. AAA, AAA is our guy – especially in the pitching ranks are a lot of guys who have had their moment and are trying to catch on a little bit longer. Okay. So I want to, I want to dive into some of the drama. Um, as you can probably know or understand, Twitter is filled with idiots and a lot of people are trying to chalk this up to um, just an extension of the crane Ryan feud. Um, even though you and I both know that Cranes wanted to own his AAA park and have it. I mean, there was talk of it being in the woodlands at some point. Right. Is, do you think that there's any validity to that? Or do you think this is actually was is sort of more of an ugly happenstance? I, I doubt there's a lot of validity to it other than I understand where it comes from because, and I'm a fairly big Nolan Ryan fan, but he gets his feelings hurt every few years and switches allegiances. It really does. Started, yeah. I mean, it started in 1988. Um, the Astros wouldn't extend him a contract or wanted him to take a pay cut. He went to the Rangers instead as a free agent and pitched far better than anybody was expecting him to for far longer than anybody was expecting him to. And so then he hung around the Rangers front office for a little bit, and then he got pissed off at them and decided to move his his interest back down to Houston. And he stayed there for a while, and Drayton pissed him off. So he went back to the Rangers. The Rangers pissed him off, and then he came back to the Astros up through, I guess, last this past season when President Reed was demoted to some sort of baseball operations role that was less than president. I don't even know a special assistant to blah, 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 which yeah. is a nice way of saying we don't want you anymore. Um, all that being said, this has the, the, I think it's more likely that an offer was made to Ryan Sanders baseball. <laughs> Can we buy the round rock franchise? And they said no. And so he decided to move down. Crane decided to move down an alternate path. That's a more likely scenario. Um, I don't think there is real animosity other than no one gets his feelings hurt over random crap. Uh, maybe we didn't want to sell his sausages or his beef links or whatever it was this week in Minute Maid Park. Um, but no, I think this is all about um, Jim Crane seeing an opportunity to own every one of his major league um, affiliates, except for, you know, right now the Class A team. Okay, so let's take a look at what we have. Right now we know we have the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. We will presume that there will be no drastic sort of um, owned relocation. So they're no matter what, wh wh wherever they are, and I'm not taking anything off the books, we've heard nothing, but – and then they own the Hooks, and then they own the Round Rock. So the choices comes down to Tri-City, which we ruled out, Quad Cities, which seems likelihood, or what are these low-A leagues – closer to i mean do you think it's as up in the air as anything or do you think that we're likely looking at the river band ex extending um i think the you know and I, we could be totally wrong and this could be totally different by the time we get off this call because that's how this whole process I mean, while we've been on the call the dodgers went a third direction which is what prompted the question so yeah um i think if you ask me to bet right now i think it's quad cities 
I think we have rubber bandits at the class A level for at least another season. But I think Crane's ultimate play is to find a franchise that he can buy and move somewhere closer geographically to the Houston base of operations. And you and I were kind of talking about what that might look like. You know, if you're looking at where he seems to be focused, you're probably looking at South um, West Louisiana or Bryan College Station, which has a metro of almost 400,000 people now. Back uh, to New Orleans. Back, it, New Orleans is another place. I mean, that's that's kind of the range, but I don't know that New Orleans would turn out for a Class A team. They did not turn out for a Triple A team. All right, last question then. Um, you know, one of the things that has, has me concerned is, you know, um, there has been rumors and grumbling of – realigning the branding and look of the teams to match the parent club. We know that the Dodgers, Yankees, and Cardinals kind of ensure that. Can you see Sugarland doing that? And if they were to become the Sugarland Astros, how colossal a mistake would that be? Well, I, I can tell you that um, I, I can tell you that I was looking at my Sugarland hats this morning because I meant to bring one and wear one for the show and I had to take a dog to the vet and just more problems than your viewers care to talk about, but I forgot. Um, the one benefit that I see immediately is that I'm going to be able to get a new era 5950 Sugarland hat because they don't sell those. So I'm happy about that. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be a giant mistake to align the affiliates with your team colors all the way through because you have teams and granted the hooks aren't one of them. Uh, Sugarland isn't one of them, but you have minor league franchises, minor league teams who have been around for 50, 60, 70, 80 years who have history and tradition to throw that away, to line them up with a major league brand to guess what? Sell less merchandise because that's what you're going to end up doing. Because as we've talked about, I'm not going to go to the Sugar, I'm not going to go to Constellation Field and buy Sugarland Astros anything. I already have Astros gear. Yeah. I don't need one that says Sugarland instead of well, Or more to the point, you're not going to go buy a Round Rock Ranger something because now it's yeah. aligning yourself with the brand you don't like. Correct. Um, but I do like the Express brand. I like one of their, I like their um, uh, faux retro uh, look that I know you're not a big fan of, but uh, that's probably one of my favorite day to day hats. Um, I like the hooks and all of their different looks. And I don't want these teams to be, to have to lose uh, the Copa de Diversión teams. I don't want the teams to have to lose um, their different looks, their different brands, their alternate names. When you talk about the hooks and have the gray ghosts, um, the, or blue ghosts, sorry, um, to have the kind of freedom to do that. And that's one of the big fears I have because the things that make minor league baseball fun and unique isn't really the baseball baseball is the backdrop it's the in how in touch they are with their community and how they reflect the community that they play for um, and they exist in because a lot of times the astros model and i guess the yankees model and a few others notwithstanding this is local ownership in the communities um, who have a vested interest in those communities doing well not just their teams um, and i think if you start branding things with the major league names you lose that to a large extent. Um, nobody wanted to buy a, uh, what was it? The Auburn uh, Astros gear. People wanted to buy Auburn Doubleday gear. Um, yeah. And there's a big difference for that. And well, look not, at Staten Island Yankees versus their Pizza Rat current alternative logo. Right. That outsells their game day thing. So, and I think also to be fair, uh, the Astros have never demonstrated the, the desire to be so top down. I mean, the, the Express and the woodpeckers both very organic to their their locations yeah, so and I, yeah 
I think the hooks and the woodpecker are a good example of what I hope they're going to do. My bigger fear is that Major League Baseball tells teams like the Astros, this is what you're going to do going forward. We want all the navy and orange stuff to be Astros. We want all the navy and white stuff to be Yankees. We want all the Dodger blue, all your Dodgers teams to be Dodger blue and white. And I think that would be a huge, huge mistake. It would be a mistake. All right, that wraps us up for this episode. We'll be back for our Christmas special. I know you've got some, you're going to be grumpy on our Christmas special. I'm excited about it. I was told it was a Festivus special. Yours is a, you're exactly right. Andy, thanks a lot for being on. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. and, And we're very thankful to have you and happy, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you and Jess and Vader and all of your family as well. This just in news from around the baseball diamond. Now, normally we have you on, Andrew Nelson, for Raiders of the Lost Diamond, but maybe that still fits, but you're coming on our breaking news segment because um, we're recording this right now, Thursday, whatever it is, and it's Corona time. But the thing we've we've been hearing about since January happened, tell everybody you are representing the now. Yeah, the St. Paul Saints, uh, soon to be, or maybe officially by the time this comes out, the uh, Minnesota Twins AAA affiliate. Okay, so right before you were on, uh, we had Andy Tom Chesson on to talk about the other part of that that we'd been hearing about since January, Sugar Land Skeeters yeah. joining. And we did pros and cons of all of it. I can do the same thing for me. Pros yeah. and cons from a Twins perspective, both losing, um, was it Rochester? Yep. And then gaining St. Paul. And, and what are the pros and cons for both the fans and for the Twins? Sure. Uh, so for the twins, it's pretty easy. Um, their AAA uh, is a 20 minute drive from target field uh, with the saints becoming their AAA. Uh, the saints, they have a really nice facility. Uh, the saints are pretty widely acknowledged as having the best field in um, the best field and stadium in independent league baseball. Um, so even though it's, it's small for a AAA facility, it's really high quality and they built it with expansion possibility in mind. So that's a possibility later on also. Um, There's already a a built up local fan base. Uh, Not that the twins, you know, necessarily need that (laughs) since it's already on territory. Uh, But those are the big advantages for the twins. Uh, They already used it as their, um, their alternate site this year. Uh, the, the Saints actually ran at, in conjunction with the tw- with the Twins um, for some of the seasons. So uh, they're familiar with the facilities already. They're good facilities. Uh, the Saints is a quality organization. Um, granted, probably a lot of those people are gone once <laughs> the Twins uh, um, move their people in, but who knows? Um, so that those is are- it, though, too. I didn't really think about that. Real quick, so – or one question. So – I got to imagine that when you look at uh, teams as national brands, yeah. um, the Twins and the Astros are probably at a relatively same reach, right? I think they have mm-hmm. about a million likes on Facebook. Like, yeah, the same. They're not the Yankees or Dodgers or the Mets. No. Does it hurt them by not expanding that geographical footprint? Like, don't does it hurt the brand, or do you think they care? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think the Rochester Red Wings have a pretty big following in in their area, um, but they're also a team with 100 plus years of history behind them. Sure. Um, I think they're pretty pretty uh, highly regarded as an organization. I think that 
People generally think they're pretty well run. Their branding is good. Um, they do really great alternate branding too. Um, so I think that they they stand on their own as far as a following goes. Um, so I'm not sure how much of a twins following it built in New York necessarily. Um, it's hard for me to say as a Minnesotan, but uh, I know that there were plenty of Minnesota fans that followed Rochester um, and really had quite a bit of affection for them. They were um, Twins affiliate, AAA affiliate for, I want to say, 14 years or so, something like that. That's a long time. I mean, yeah, time, yeah. Um, since, since the early 2000s. So they've developed a lot of prominent Twins players. Um, now, how do you feel about it personally as – I mean, because you were, I think you're a little bit like me, man. Like we really, like, we don't just like, we really love these lower, lower levels of baseball. Yeah. So how does it feel sure. about for you to be a Saint? Does, does it increase your love of it? Does it? Uh, how do I feel as a Saints fan? As a Saints fan. Yeah. Um, I'm really of two minds about it. So um, as a Twins fan, I I think it's really cool that I'll be able to see a Twins AAA triple a affiliate that I'll be able to say triple a baseball at all in Minnesota. Um, the closest triple a, uh, team to us previously was the Iowa Cubs down in Des Moines. And that's a four hour drive or so from where I live four or five hours. Um, I've been there, but it's not, not an easy trip that I could just make all the time yeah. and I'm not a Cubs fan. So, um, you know, I, I don't have a huge interest in, in rooting for the Iowa Cubs. Um, so that's exciting to, to have that fan possibility as a Twins fan, really. Um, as a Saints fan, I, I'm worried and I kind of am mourning in advance for things that may be lost. Um, I know that we've talked a little bit before about, well, what difference is it really going to make for me as a baseball fan? Uh, there's probably going to be better quality play that I can watch, Um you know, they're, they're still going to do goofy promotions and it's still going to be fun to go to. Um, but the Saints really, from the start, were built kind of in opposition to, to Major League Baseball. To the point um, that their owners were actually very vocal about, we have no interest in becoming. Yeah. And I'm sure that um, money money talks. And, and Right. Yeah. So they were a founding member of the Northern League back in 1993. Uh, the Northern League was started by... Um, some minor league owners and operators who were tired of the, the kind of overreach they thought of major league baseball sounds really familiar <laughs> and wanted to strike off on their own and do things the way they wanted to. And um, Mike Veck was the original majority owner of the St. Paul saints. Um, people may know him from disco demolition night yep. uh, with the, the white Sox. White and, Sox yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, famously or infamously, however you want to look at it. Um, but then he also worked with a lot with several minor league teams before that. Um, he really built up the Miami and then Fort Myers miracle before he, he worked with the saints. Um, and it was really irreverent and, um, it was sold as, you know, this is, this is baseball and it's different than what you're going to see over in Minneapolis. Uh, it's outside, it's close. You can interact with it um, much more easily than major league baseball and it's cheap. Yeah. And it's, and um, 
you know, it was huge. They, they sold out all the time, um, like for years on end to the point where they had to figure out a way to, to not sell out because they were, it was actually hurting their attendance because people figured they wouldn't be able to get tickets to games. It's like uh, the hot girl in high school. She, she never gets asked out because everybody always figures she's got. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's not even an exaggeration that comes yeah. from, um, from somebody who used to work in that organization. Um, and they, they did crazy things like they had, um, they hired a guy, they signed and fielded a guy named Dave Stevens who had no legs, but he had a dream of playing professional baseball. Um, they signed Daryl Strawberry and gave him a chance to, to get back on his feet and get back into baseball when everybody else was tired of him. Yeah. And, and it worked. Um, they signed J.D. Drew when he was felt like he was getting screwed over by the Philadelphia Phillies. He played a full season with the Saints. Um, they signed Isla Borders, the first woman to play men's professional baseball in the post-integration era. Um, you know, so they were the first team to give her a chance. Uh, you're not going to see that kind of stuff in affiliated baseball. It's, I mean, you're not going to be the team's properties, and that's it. Here's what's got me worried is this is Astro the Grouch. Mm-hmm. There is no way a Saints affiliate gets away uh, with this. Yeah. Sorry, with a Twins affiliate, Twins affiliate because yeah. it hurts the bigger MLB brand. And right. yeah, obviously I'm an Astros fan, but I also like fun stuff. And that's hilarious. Yeah. Curveball. Curveball. Yeah. So um, let's take another macro look at it then, you know, because one of the things that's got, um, again, when we talked with Andy with GoGo Astros about mm-hmm. – you know, so the so the Astros now own part of the Skeeters. They yeah. own the Woodpeckers and they own the Hooks. But who knows where that other A ball team comes from? What right. is the rest of the of the of the affiliation for the Twins? How do you project, or do you have a projection of how it's going to go go down? Sure. Um, well, I'll start with what I think I know. <laughs> so, I've heard uh, educated educated guesses or rumors about the Marlins organization. And that ties in with the twins organization is that supposedly the Pensacola blue Wahoos are going to be the Marlins new double double A affiliate. So the twins are going to have to get a new double A. There aren't double A teams anywhere near the upper Midwest. So I have no idea where that's going to come from. Um, I I would guess maybe the new mid Atlantic league. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or the Eastern League. Um, but it's hard to say. Uh, you know, maybe they're going to reclassify uh, Wichita because they're without a dance partner now. I've heard that they're going to go down to double A, and I don't know. I mean, that's just a thing I've heard on podcasts and stuff. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I've heard that or anything. The Texas League and going as far as that. I've, I've seen that floated, which yeah. I guess makes some geographical sense. It's one state away from Oklahoma. Right. And I, you know, Texas league might be where the saints find a double a affiliate. Um, it's the same time zone, at least. Yeah. Uh, not particularly close, but you know, <laughs> what can you do? Uh, I, I think they're going to retain the Cedar Rapids kernels um, oh, in the Midwest league. That just makes sense for them. Um, and I got to imagine they're going to keep Fort Myers because that's just right. A so um, Florida state league is going down to low a, so I, I think that Cedar Rapids will be their high A, and then they're going to ha- have to drum up a, a double A somewhere. 
uh, somewhere middle of the country-ish, but I mean, there isn't a lot to choose from as far as AA affiliations. We just have about 30 seconds left. Um, one of the things I have a big fear of is the homogenization of teams where oh, yeah. all of a sudden they start to look and feel like the parent club. Am mm-hmm. I overreacting or do you do you feel like, are well, the billionaires smart enough to know that that's a bad way to ruin their business? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the kind of petty and small concerns that I have as a Saints fan, but at the very least, the Saints look is going to look different next year if they're a Twins affiliate. If you can, I'll show again my Saints. This is a Saints jersey, that a replica jersey I had made up, customized. And the last few years since the Saints moved to their new stadium, they've really adopted kind of a Dodgers, a vintage Dodgers look. And that's a nod to their history as a a Dodgers affiliate, the old Saints history as a Dodgers affiliate in the 40s and 50s. Uh, Some of the most famous uh, baseball players to play in St. Paul Roy Campanella, Duke Snyder, Leo DeRocher were Dodgers guys. Um, The Saints have always been really big about acknowledging St. Paul baseball history. Uh, The STP on on their caps is a nod to a logo that was used by the St. Paul Gophers, which was a really prominent early 20th century black baseball team. Um, So I worry that some of that distinct St. Paulness, especially because they, part of their success and part of why they mean so much to people from the area is because they're an east side Twin Cities thing. Got it. Uh, the Twins have always been on the west side of the cities, either in Bloomington or Minneapolis for a long time now. And even though St. Paul's the capital, it's the slightly smaller of the Twin Cities. It's not quite as glitzy. It doesn't have as much going on. They, so I think St. Paulites and east siders kind of feel a little looked down on by Minneapolitans and like people who think of the Twin Cities as Minneapolis. Got it. Um, And so like St. Paul has been our baseball team. It's St. Paul's baseball team. And the players belonged to the Saints and belonged to St. Paul. And that's something that gets lost when they're a part of a major league organization now. And it's a little bit different than that. You know, it's still our major league club. Like we're, we're twins fans. Yeah. 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 But it's not, it's not the same local tie into the community that you have from a city team, as opposed to a, you know, a state slash regional team. The minor league mind with Jess Canaster. All right. So we're jumping into the minor league mind and Jess, uh, this is all over the place. We've had the Columbia Fireflies on the show talking about getting dumped on Twitter. We have had Andy Tom Chesson reacting to news that, and from my own sources, the Round Rock Express were dumped on Twitter. We can only assume the Rochester Red Wings were dumped on Twitter, and that's really been the major moving pieces so far. Um, Where is all this sitting with any degree of clarity right now? Uh, I think the main clarity comes with uh, not necessarily what's going to happen, but also the question that's been asked in addition to what teams are going to survive and what leagues are going to look like and all that stuff is when are we going to know? And uh, with a bunch of stories coming out recently, it seems like there's more talk centering around December 1st as a release date. And of course, major league baseball hasn't said anything when I assume it's going to be them who releases everything at once, but in several different places I've seen December 1st uh, uh, mentioned as the date that, 
it's all going to happen. And so in terms of clarity regarding that, I think that's what we have right now. I would like to say it is very 2020 that Chuck Schumer, Senator from New York, broke the news on Twitter, uh, seemingly broke the news on Twitter that the Rochester Red Wings are going to be uh, affiliated with the Washington Nationals, because of course, that's what a, a U.S. Senator should be talking about right now. Instead of packing U-Hauls for the occupant of the White House? Um, oh, brother. I mean, I, I do have to say, though, in light of that, because there have been people who have complained, that's going to be a big, big deal for uh, the Red Wings losing one AAA uh, or losing the affiliate from one uh, team, but keeping their AAA affiliation with somebody else, because that's a ton of money for the city of Rochester. And not been the case. Like, like we know that some AAA teams are going to lose out because the three independent clubs that have been added have been added. I believe all three, of the AAA level, is that correct? Somerset also. Uh, so, Somerset's uh, set to go into double A. They're, they're, they're going to take the uh, spot in the Eastern league, but no, the, uh, the talk has been that San Antonio and, uh, uh, and Wichita are going to drop down from AAA to double A and uh, unconfirmed, but it has been part of the proposal all along that the Fresno Grizzlies are going to drop down from the Pacific Coast League and go all the way down uh, into the California League, which is going to be moved from high A, advanced A, to low A. So the uh, Fresno Grizzlies supposedly are going to tumble all the way down the ladder. So a question then, then for you is we kind of move toward this because, you know, the show, we had, this is our Thanksgiving episode we have a Christmas episode, holiday special plan, but I, I envision you and I popping on for little special drop-ins as this begins to shake out. We're not going to leave our listeners in the lurch, but does someone know exactly what's going to happen in December 1st as an arbitrary date, or is December 1st the date they're hoping they get stuff done and they could still miss that? I mean, it just seems so unfair to all of these teams at the lower levels to not know where they're going and if they're going to even have affiliated ball. Well, since we, we never got a full uh, honest answer from major league baseball when they, when this proposal was leaked last year, I don't think we'll ever know how much has really changed, but it sounds like from little details that are coming out uh, that for the most part, what was talked about last year is what's going to happen. So I'd say that major league baseball pretty much knows what they want uh, there was an ominous uh, quote from J.J. Uh, Cooper, who writes for uh, Baseball America, who said that he he doesn't know for a fact, but he, he believes 115 of the 120 teams are solidified that he thinks he could he could call out who those are, not necessarily what their affiliations will be. But I mean, and when you figure we only have a few confirmed. Uh, and then a few more owned by their parent clubs. That leaves a lot that would have to have been found out through other ways, unless unless he's guessing. But he has been as spot on or as spot on as he's been. I don't think he is. Uh, I don't know necessarily that the major league teams know what's happening or uh, know what's going to happen. I th- uh, believe they were given the option of uh, like ranking who they wanted at each level. But it sounds like because there are teams who are complaining that they don't like their uh, new affiliates, they don't like that they can't keep their old affiliates and therefore they're going to have to get new ones at certain levels, uh, then maybe it is only Major League Baseball who has a full grasp on what's happening. Do you envision um, 
Oh, sorry. Not do you envision. Do you imagine, you know, one of the big takeaways from all of this, it's very 2020, it's very Trump that we're firing people over Twitter. Um, do you imagine that this is because Jim Crane is cold and heartless and can't pick up the phone to Round Rock? Or is Major League Baseball saying it's going to leak, but we don't want anything coming from you? And that means talking to your affiliates. Uh, I think there's probably uh, uh, maybe less desire for there to be actual talk between major league and minor league teams themselves, regardless of what major league baseball is or is not requesting their, their uh, teams to do. Uh, and I think it's, it's as simple as when you're breaking up with somebody or if you're, if you need to have any awkward conversation with anybody where you're no longer going to do business with them, it's a lot better and easier to do it as non-interpersonal as possible. So you're saying that major not like league I'm, not like I'm speaking from any experience because truly <laughs> I'm not. So you're you're saying that major league baseball is following the advice of the bobs from Office Space. They're just going to fix the glitch. Uh, I mean, the major league baseball, I think, maybe has instilled on their owners that the contract is over. the The PBA is complete. There is no reason. Uh, there there is no legal obligation to do anything anymore uh and so do 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 what you will but also do what we want you to do uh and if what you want to do is different than what we want you to do as major league baseball then don't then don't do what you want to do because do what we want you to and that is keep quiet so that we can say it all at once and i think uh you know as we've seen with every little release every little leak whether it's been from the minor league teams, from the major league teams, from uh, a beat writer from a local newspaper, whatever it may be, very, the, the, the amount of people that are upset and the amount of people that are happy is a very lopsided ratio. And if Major League Baseball can release it all in the middle of the night, whenever they choose to, maybe they can avoid some heat. the big league chew and i on the majors brought to you by zoomer sport so we are going to scott mcintyre live from the mistake by the lake cleveland ohio yeah i didn't lose anything here yeah uh scott let's talk a little theo epstein yeah lots of stuff about this dude um anything from joining the mets joining the nashville professional team Correct. Uh, yep. To, fixing to, baseball. To commissioner right. Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's it, it's easy to say that Theo Epstein is the uh, most influential uh, person in baseball in the 21st century. I, I I don't think there to me at least there's not a lot of argument in that he has you know broken two curses so far, and, and the third curse is in the commissioner's office, <laughs> like you uh like you talked about. So that would be a great place to go fix things. Yeah. Um, I. It's not surprising that Theo leaves the Cubs. This is the same MO that, uh, that he had in Boston, you know, nine years there, and then he left. It kind of comes from the Bill Walsh style of management. We don't stay in a place of leadership in one spot more than a decade, or you'll get stale and, and things will, will start going backward. Um, Epstein's done a great job at, uh, at adhering to that and being incredibly successful. I think, based on everything I've seen and everything I've read, I think that what Epstein really wants is a shot at ownership and not to have to argue with, with other people 
um, that, that are above him. So when you mention the Nashville ownership group that Dave Dombrowski is already a part of, that makes a lot of sense to me, Jim. That makes a lot of sense to me. And we do know that it has always been in Manfred's plan to get to 32. Um, yeah. I've, I've seen a, a potential American League division that made up of the Astros, Rangers, Nashville, and Arizona, which makes some degree of geographical sense. Um, but let's go real quick to what Epstein said about fixing the game and that Manfred's attempts to fix the game were wrong. And I think I know I, I'm asking you already knowing the, the, the answer to this. And, and Theo Epstein takes some blame on himself saying, I'm part of the reason that analytics has done it. Is that the issue, not getting the ball in play? Is that really what will help make the, the game more exciting? Well, I think it does. I mean, we talked about, I've said it ad nauseum on the show, right? That, that ratings go up whenever, um, when, when stolen bases go up. It's just, I mean, the two things go together. There's more excitement to the game. You know, yeah. I've been watching Korean baseball this year and they're hitting the ball, they're hitting the run and, putting people in play. There's only so much you can take of either a guy hitting a ball 400 feet or striking out. Yeah. That, that That's almost like, you know, the NBA just shooting shots from 28 feet and, and, or, or a dunk. Those are the only, Oh wait, never mind. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but I, I think you do have to get the ball alive and back in play and everything's cyclical. And things come around. Now, if you look at the way Epstein won a championship in Boston, it was very analytical. It was very uh, much, you know, coming into the thing of we don't know anything we're talking about. They don't think we know anything that, uh, about what we're talking about. And we're we're, we're going to take the world by storm. And they did. But in Chicago, he had a big thing about clubhouse leadership. There wasn't the same blueprint. That's what I think makes Epstein so good in, in the annals of, uh, of baseball history. He, he took a team in Chicago and, and put that leadership, guys who had been there, guys who yeah. were clubhouse presences. And when they had that rain delay in the seventh inning, I'm sorry, in the, in, in the extra innings of, of the game seven, the World Series, and after Chicago had given up a three-run lead and went down into the clubhouse and nobody was panicking, nobody was freaking yeah. out. They were, they were having a meeting. And, and, and at the end of the day, you know, that was on Epstein's watch. If anybody is going to be able – uh, if anyone comes to mind that could fix the game, it was Epstein. I just don't know if he wants a commissioner's job. If he doesn't like dealing with one owner, how the hell is he going to like dealing with 30 or 32 of them? That's that's true. So um, when do you when when do you think best guess from the Scott McIntyre mind uh, that you think we might see um, expansion? Uh, it won't be like, immediately. Does the pandemic, does the pandemic make it quicker because you can get those dues? Yeah, I think you've also got to get through the CBA. Uh, I don't know if you can just, you know, you have no collective bargaining agreement. You might be doing a strike and, hey, we've got two new teams. <laughs> I don't know if that works out too. Uh, I think you got to get over that hurdle first. Um, so I would 2022, 20, maybe you'll hear the announcement about it. And 23, 24 is when you'd have a team start. It, it does take time to start up uh, a new team um, as, as you see in MLS there in, um, in Austin and also in St. Louis. And, and I'm as excited. We see in the NHL. I can't believe see I'm excited, Apple. but whatever. Yeah, me too. I, I am too. I hate yeah. to admit that. I'm really looking forward to a new downtown stadium in St. Louis and going to watch soccer. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it? Um, um, but I, 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 I think that baseball doesn't do this really for at least another two solid years, maybe three. Manfred was probably had a time Manfred probably had a timetable that was quicker than that. 
but you know, other things have happened this year. Sure. All right. So real quick, uh, I know that you're um, in transit. Thank you for stopping. Oh, dude. Hey, look, I, I found a really cool, if, if you're ever in Cleveland, uh, this, this place has a lot of beer and it's good. It's called Hooli House. Hooli so House. That's their, that's their cheap plug. They didn't even know they got it. Shout out to Hooli House. So we've been talking all episode um, with, uh, with Andy, Andrew, um, about both the Astros and the, and the Saint and the twins minor league system real quick. Um, how many, how many of the teams do the Cardinals own in their system and your overall thought on how teams are finding out via Twitter. Uh, I, I revealed on a, on, on a segment earlier that my sources in the round rock express confirmed that they found out the exact same moment I did. That seems to be the way that things get announced, right? Directors of cybersecurity for the whole country and and minor league teams get told they no longer exist uh, through Twitter. Seems to I don't know. There's a weird correlation there. Things there are, uh, you know, um, I'll put it this way: uh, the most prevalent thing that we've seen of, of people getting um, having all of their business announcements happen through Twitter. The majority of the country decided they didn't like that, and the, and 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 that person has been is being removed from their job. Uh, I think baseball execs that do the same thing from their teams down to the minor leagues kind of got the same feeling there. If you're letting people know via Twitter, you're a scumbag period. All right. Well, that's a good uh, thing. And I want to, I do want to say that uh, Scott, (laughs) as always, so thankful for you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and the kids. And uh, we will be back on after Thanksgiving for some Christmas fun. I am thankful that you and I went to a Tulsa drillers game a few years ago. And uh, you had this epiphany that, hey, this might be a lot of fun. And you know what? You were right. Swinging for the fences. Inspirational stories from the game of baseball. So on this Thanksgiving episode, we are excited to bring you a brand new segment called Swinging for the Fences. And it is kind of my reaction to 2020. I wanted to start 2021 off on the right foot. And we're going to focus on some of the inspirational stories that come from the game, both the inspirational stories from teams, from fan bases, basically the baseball community. Baseball does so much for us. It allows us to put bygones aside, to put the stress of the day behind us and enjoy something that is pure and perfect, even in its lack of purity and imperfections. And it's still a game made up of people who oftentimes will do things for other people that are inspiring and that maybe will help us be motivated to be better humans. And so we're excited to have this first episode on Thanksgiving, and we're going to be visiting with one of our favorite teams out there, friends of the show, the Keen Swamp Bats. So we are super excited to welcome back to Let's Get To, friend of the show, from the Keen Swamp Bats, Kevin Watterson. Kevin, how's it going, man? Jim, great to be with you. Great to be with your listeners. It's going well. Getting ready for another season. Uh, so we are getting ready for another season. I want to start to jump in talking about the fundraising campaign. Um, how did that go? You know, we, we don't do many fundraisers. We get tremendous support from our community and our fans every year. But this was kind of a special year. We've uh, identified some real needs. And the, the fundraiser, in truthfully blew us away. 
it blew us away. We, we set a goal for $10,000. We hit it so quickly. We said, let's raise it to 20. And we went right by 20. We almost got to 30. We leveled off at 27 and said, thank you to everyone. What does that mean for you? I mean, it's Thanksgiving time, right? Like, obviously, it's time to be thankful. We all know that everybody's stretched financially with COVID. What does that mean to you that so many people were willing to jump in and help out? You know, outside of the baseball and the facility side of life, it really spoke to us about our fan base, our player base, their parents, and uh, what we meant to so many people. Because I think sometimes you don't recognize um, the value that you bring to a community. And in, in this fundraiser, it, it certainly for us brought that out from our fans. And, uh, and we, we received donations from many of the players, ex-players 10, 15 years ago, their parents. It, it told us they really remembered their days in Keene and what they got out of it. And I guess from a more practical perspective, it helps you to know, yes, there will be a 2021 Keen swamp bat season. Exactly. Um, we are going, we, you know, our, our fundraising will allow us to raise the bar on our facility. We're going to, hey, new, new turtle, new batting cages, uh, new, new uh, turf, you know, everything you can think of on the baseball side. And then we thought it was time to build a brand new pavilion to raise oh, cool. the fan experience. Yeah, so we're doing that. And that's for our fans to raise that fan experience at our games every night. It's for your fans and a certain podcast host from Texas. <laughs> yeah, we there. you got. Hey, can, can you? We got to do a show from that pavilion, Joe. Oh, I'm I'm 100 percent in. Uh, we I'm okay. gonna bring. I've already planned. We're bringing. We're bringing mics. We're bringing cameras. We're gonna have a great time. Um, I wanted to ask to take your pulse of where baseball is now. Um, I don't know how much you're following this contraction stuff. Uh, teams are finding out over Twitter that they don't have an affiliate anymore. Like. This is all happening, and MLB seems to be jumping into the collegiate summer league space. Is that going to affect your ability to get players, or do you? Or is it too early to tell yet? I think I'm, I'm. First of all, I'm very aware of what MLB is doing. Uh, do I think it's going to affect uh, our ability in the NECBLs? I'm going to say to you, no. Um, I mean, our league is is so well established in right. the United States. Um, it's just a matter of, well, if I'm not going to get that great player, I'll get that great player. Um, and, and I truly feel that way. We've been recruiting and we have our roster is made up of the same great programs across the country as in the past. I've talked to coaches about what's going on with MLB and, and, and the Appalachian League uh, and uh, the New York Penn League. And uh, I can tell you, and I don't mind saying it, uh, th this this concept isn't exactly being well received by uh, Division One and coaches across the country. It's just flat out not. The app, the the Appy League is one thing. Um, the the plan for the New York Penn League of draft eligible seniors, I don't see that working. I don't see. To me, it seems like they're gonna th they're throwing at them a bad idea knowing these teams will turn it down and they can be like, well, we offered you, you just didn't want to do it. Right. And I don't think any of us ought to be naive, nor do I think we are in the baseball world. I think uh, the MLB, uh, I think their strategy here is based on one thing and that's called greed. Uh, you know, they want it. They've, they've been wanting to get rid of some minor league teams over for, for quite a few years. Yeah. And I think they were able to get under the radar due to COVID 
and uh, and the politicians were able to run the other way without taking a hit. Because let's face it, we just lost however many, 40, 50 uh, minor league teams, thousands of jobs, of which the politicians always tell us is so important. Yeah. MLB is looking to save, what, a couple million dollars per team? Really? These billionaires need to save a couple million dollars a year. I, I don't. As you can tell, Jim, I, I hide nothing in terms of my feelings for the extent of their greed. And that's really what it's about. It's very much about greed. It's very much where and, and I'm going to I'll say this to you during this segment, but this show is pledging we are going to cover or visit no MLB parks next year. We are going to put our spotlight and our voice as limited as it might be on um, the teams that are still doing it for the right reasons, including the Keen Swamp Bats. Um, so I got to imagine, as you look through 2020 into 2021, uh, this vaccine news has to at least be welcome, that at least it looks like we'll all have something by the time your season starts. Yeah, that's a great point. And if, if we look at last year, if we learned anything last year, the challenges of COVID were two. Were two. First of all, was safety, safety for our fans and safety for our players. And then secondly, overcoming restrictions from governmental bodies. I think the vaccine really addresses both of those challenges. And so as we are seven months away from opening night, maybe seven and a half, I think we, gotta, we have a strong possibility, likelihood, of playing a season next year. And I cannot wait to be out there. Kevin, thank you so much for jumping on Let's Get Two. I want to have you on before your season kicks off to preview the 2021 Keen Swamp Bats. Anytime you want to look at our roster, we're happy to talk rosters. That's always fun. And now on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So that does wrap up this Turkey Day edition of Let's Get Two. And I know this is going to be a very weird Thanksgiving for everyone. In the most best-case scenario, I guess, we're faced with the, with the heartbreaking decision of who to spend it with. It's not safe to spend it with whole families. Jessica and I are going to be spending it with Jordan and the grandkids which means not as much time with her mom or my mom because we want to keep them safe. In the worst case scenario, uh, it's about dealing with Thanksgiving with family members no longer here because of the pandemic or in a hospital because of the pandemic. And, you know, it's a necessary sacrifice to make that we can't just be with all of our families because we want to be with them next year, you know. It, it reminds me of, of the line in Jaws because everything reminds me of a line in Jaws where, you know, if we work now, we can save August. Well, we can save April. We can save opening day if we are diligent and focused now and being safe now. So we definitely understand that this is going to be a very difficult Thanksgiving for everyone. And we hope that we all just stay positive and, and stay focused. I would like to use the end of this for a shameless plug. Those of you who know me well know that my business I'm in, in, is in independent film. I'm a filmmaker, run a film festival, and I teach film. Independent film is kind of my life. And um, one of our feature films from many years ago is a movie called Turkey Day. So if you're interested in a very, a very independent, little bit raunchy Thanksgiving romantic comedy, I highly recommend it. 
Um, it played a bunch of film festivals, and generally speaking, audiences dig it. Um, you know, it's like I said, very independent, very low budget, so all of the all of what comes with that. But it's kind of my love letter to Thanksgiving. It's my love letter to National Lampoon's Vacation. So I'll put a link down here if you want to check it out. Um, again, a lot of fun. Maybe not for kids, but if you enjoy movies like that, I think you'll dig this one, especially if you're into independent films. That is our show. We'll be back uh, in a few weeks with our holiday special that we have been hard at work for. Well, it, it'll be about six weeks worth of work going into this. So we're very excited. I think it's going to be a little bit different for us and maybe represent some new directions for the show. So again, happy Thanksgiving. Stay safe. Stay sane. And until next time, let's get to it.